Our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. And we'll be reading until chapter 2, verse 11. So 1 Samuel 1, beginning at 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And he said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on, on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithfulness, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give a strength to his he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Thanks so much, Andrew. And I uh, really want to encourage everybody to keep your Bible open here at 1 Samuel uh, chapters 1 and 2 as we continue on the series looking at these, uh, uh, the life and the ministry of Samuel. Uh, hopefully you will have uh, received the church email this week. Uh, in there, there was a sermon outline uh, that has some questions to it. Uh, and there was also a kid sheet. So uh, kids, if you want to follow along with that and answer the questions as you go, and there's an activity uh, on the back to do. 
I think there is uh, something about underdog stories that we really love. Uh, that dramatic change in circumstances from someone uh, who was doing it tough, uh, who comes out on top. Uh, one of the most popular TV shows over the last 12 months uh, has been the show Ted Lasso, uh, which is full of characters and it's full of a, a football team for whom this is exactly true. Uh, underdogs who bit by bit come out on top. Movies are full of, of, of stories just like that. And, and I think one of the reasons why we, we love the story of Hannah so much, and we find it so encouraging because here is someone who had done it so tough. Uh, the rival wife, uh, provoked, uh, childless, loved but not comforted. But the Lord remembered her. He heard her cry and he gave her what she was asking for. And, and I think we want to see something of ourselves in Hannah. We want to hold on to the hope that what was true for Hannah can be true for us too. That we too can experience a reversal in life from weeping and anxiety and vexation to rejoicing and gladness and peace. Well, the good news is that today we're going to dive back into this story of Hannah and we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're going to start with Hannah and then we're going to go much wider because we're going to see that this is not just the story of what God did for Hannah. It's the story of what God does. Full stop. It's the story of what God is doing for Israel in the books of of 1 and 2 Samuel. It's the story of what the Lord is doing in the world today through his son. It's the story of what God is doing in his church and in his people today. So let's dive back in. And when we left the story last week, Hannah had given birth to her son and she had given the name Samuel. Now, over the course of this passage that we're looking at, that Andrew read for us, uh, I wonder if you notice that there's this, this repeated idea or storyline. It comes up four times. This, this Hannah then is going to give this son back to the Lord in fulfillment of the vow that she made to him. Uh, it's there in verse 22, uh, where Hannah and the rest of the family are going up. Hannah says, uh, wait until he's weaned, and I will bring him so he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And then it's a little bit later in verse 24, it says, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, um, and the although the child was young, it's there in verse 28, I've lent him to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And then it's again in chapter 2, verse 11. Akana goes home, but the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Now, we do have to ask a question here, though, don't we? How can Hannah do this. I mean, she, she pleaded for him. She longed for him. She was tormented when she didn't have him. And now she's going to give him back. Well, last week when we looked at Hannah, uh, we looked at her trust in the Lord as it was expressed in her prayer. But I want to I suggest that we have here uh, Hannah's faith or her trust in the Lord on display once again. 
Uh, it's on display even though she is no longer pleading with him in two ways. The first is in her priorities. Her faith, her trust in God is seen in her priorities in life. Now, I want to go back for a moment to have a look at the vow that she made uh, in verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. And she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, I will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch her head. Now, we might be tempted to think that Hannah is making some sort of bargain with God here. God, give, give me a son and I'll do something back for you. We might think that her priority is herself. Uh, this is self-interest. It's uh, joy, contentment, uh, fulfillment that comes through this child, specifically a son. Now, I, I don't want to suggest that Hannah's, you know, not at all kind of partly selfish in wanting a son. But there is more going on here. Uh, her desire needs to be seen against the backdrop of the big picture of what God is doing in the world and he's doing in Israel. She wants to participate in the realization or the fulfillment of God's promises to his people, who said that an heir, a seed, will come and that he will rule the world through him. Think, think about this. Think, think about Genesis chapter 1. God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. How is God going to extend his, his reign, his rule over his world? Well, through Adam and Eve having children, having heirs. Think about Genesis chapter 3. After sin comes in, after God doles out the punishments, he makes the promise that through the seed or the offspring or the heir of the woman, the head of the serpent will be crushed. Jump forward a little bit and think about Genesis chapter 12. Uh, when God calls Abraham and he, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. How, how's gonna, God going to restore his reign as rule? Well, it's going to be through offspring. You see, uh, her commitment uh, to wanting a son is a desire to participate in the fulfillment of God's promises. Not having children is excluding her from that plan. That commitment then, God, give me a son and I will give him back to you, says a lot about her priorities. Her commitment is the plans and the purposes of God and the fulfillment of his promises to Israel and to the world. Now, the second way in which her faith, her trust in God is expressed then is through her obedience. She is being obedient to God in fulfilling the vow that she had made. And it's costly obedience. You, you see, we, we might think, well, Hannah, you, you made that commitment under extreme duress. I mean, you're provoked, you're weeping, you're emotional, we're not going to hold you to that. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't hold yourself to that. But she was serious when she made it. And she's serious as she keeps that commitment. Now, we, we know that she has more children. She has uh, three sons and two daughters. It's there at the end of chapter two. Um, but this is her firstborn son. 
and she will only get to see him once a year as she goes up to Shiloh. Now, whether we have kids or not, I don't think we can underestimate the pain associated with that obedience. It's costly, and she does it because she trusts the Lord. Now, now this is hard-hitting, isn't it? I find this a little bit confronting. You see, it's wonderful to have trust in a, a sovereign almighty God when you're in the depths of despair, when we cry out to him for help, and, and we should do that. But Hannah's faith is not just in pouring out her heart to the Lord, it's in her priority, her concern first for the kingdom of God. And it's in her obedience, even though it's going to cost her dearly. Church, we don't want to skip over this point. Knowing the Lord and, and having our sins forgiven and our eternity certain, there is nothing that gives us peace and joy and encouragement. Nothing else in the world. You know, if we've experienced the grace and favor of God in Christ, well, nothing else compares. No, no other human achievement, uh, no accolades from anybody else, uh, no temporary or fleeting gift will ever match what we've been given by God. But neither will anything demand so much of us. Our life's focus, our priorities, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, and our obedience. If you're considering at the moment whether, whether or not to commit your life to the Lord Jesus, if you're a young person and part of our church who's, who's, who's trying to work your way through this, if, if you're a visitor, a new person here at South Bow and you're thinking about this, I'm, I'm so glad that you're thinking about it. And we want you to know the tremendous blessings in, in knowing Christ, the, the peace, the joy, the contentment, the rich blessings of eternal life, a relationship with God, eternal hope. If you put your faith in Christ, all of that will be yours. But that faith will be costly. It will demand everything of you. It'll demand a sacrifice of all other priorities to put our hope, our faith, our obedience on the one who gave us everything. Now, I guess the question is then, uh, is it worth it? Uh, is it worth it then to trust in the Lord? Now, to answer that, I want to move on into chapter 2 and to Hannah's prayer. We're going to re return back to the end of chapter 1 in a moment. We're going to unpack a couple of other points there. But we need to wrestle with this question about whether it's worth it first. Now, this second prayer of Hannah's also comes in Shiloh. The first prayer was a cry from her heart, uh, asking of the Lord, pleading of the Lord. This too is a, is a cry from the heart, but now it's a prayer of praise. Because from Hannah and out of her experience, now comes this great theological reality, this great biblical truth, that the way that the Lord worked for Hannah is the way that the Lord works, full stop. What Hannah has experienced in the Lord is the experience of all those who put their trust in him. As she was laid low and raised up, 
So the Lord raises up all who were needy, all who cry out to him, and he brings down the strong. Now, that's really the theme of this whole prayer. Uh, verse 1 kind of starts with uh, expressing her praise. My heart exalts in the Lord. My, my horn is exalted in the Lord. Uh, verse 2 expresses her hope. There's, there's none like the Lord, none holy, none beside you. Uh, there's no rock like our God. And then in, in verses uh, 4, uh, all the way down to verse 8, there's a whole series of reversals that the Lord brings. I wonder if you notice them as we're reading through it. Look at there, verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Uh, the full are now empty, but the empty are now full. The barren has children. Uh, she who has children is forlorn. The Lord kills and he raises up. The Lord brings down and he lifts up. He raises the poor up out of the dust, the needy from the ashy, and he gives them a seat of honor with princes. And at the second part of verse 8, really even goes back to creation. This is how the Lord worked there. Uh, he brought something out of nothing. He brought order out of chaos. This is the way that the, word, the Lord works. He's the one with power. He's the one with grace. He has the final say. You see, according to this prayer, there are just two types of people in this world. There are the proud and the arrogant, those who stand against God, who think that power comes from them. And there are the weak, the humble, the powerless, who look to God for grace and strength. There are the wicked and the faithful. There are those that the Lord brings low and those that the Lord break, brings up. Now, here, here really clearly, you know, is a great case where the ways of the Lord are so different from the ways of the world. Our world despises weakness and it looks down on the poor and the needy and the hungry. It, it regards as out of fashion the faithful. It takes advantage of the feeble. But God's way is the way of a great reversal. God looks favorably on those that the world despises, who put their hope and their trust in him and who look to him for strength. This is the theme tune of God's dealings with his world. And this is the theme tune of the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. God brings low the proud, and yet he raises up the humble. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back for a moment and look at a little statement or a little phrase uh, comes from the world's of, word from the mouth of Elkanah uh, in verse 23. It comes as, as Hannah's just sort of said that, that she'll wait till Samuel's wean, then she'll take him up to the Lord. And then Elkanah says, you know, do what seems best to you. And then he says this, he says, uh, only may the Lord establish his word. That, it seems a little weird, doesn't it? It seems almost out of place. So what is he saying? Well, he's not talking about God's word to Hannah that she will have a son. Two reasons. 
Uh, the first is that God actually never makes that commitment, that promise uh, to Hannah. He, he just delivers on it. Uh, the second reason is that Hannah already has this son. So this is not about Hannah keeping her word, or it's not about the Lord keeping his word to Hannah. This is about the word of the Lord being established. The word that Elkanah refers to here is the Lord's word to his people. His promise to bless them and to make them a blessing. What is happening here with Hannah is a part of that bigger picture of the Lord establishing his word, fulfilling the commitments, the promises that he has made. And it appears that Elkanah gets that. He gets the significance of a barren woman giving birth to a child because it's happened before. It happened with Sarah. It happened with Rebecca. It happened with Rachel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's wives. It even happened with Samson's mum. Here is the child of one who couldn't have children. You see, he gets it. This is the way that the Lord works. The great reversal that he brings, not just for individuals, but it's the way that he establishes his word. He keeps his promises. He brings his kingdom here on earth. He takes the things that are not, the things that are despised in the eyes of the world, the things that are weak and powerless, and he uses them for his kingdom, for his purposes, and for his glory. Now, Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, he picks up on this idea. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. I'm going I'm to read a few verses here. Listen to this with Hannah in mind. It's, it's brilliant. He says, for consider your calling, brothers, sisters, Hannah. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the eyes of the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Think about that. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not. Paul says that is, that is true of Hannah. And as it was true of Hannah, it is true of us too. You see, I, th I think many of us have asked the question from time to time, or maybe often, what do I have to contribute to the plans and the purposes of God? What have I, what have I got? I I'm too young to, to be of any use. I I'm, I'm too new of a Christian uh, to be useful. I I'm too old of a Christian uh, to be any good. I I I'm struggling with sin. I'm, I I'm full of it. I'm not a great preacher. 
I'm struggling in my own family. Maybe I don't have kids. Um, no, fill in, fill in your own blank. Now, in a sense, asking that question is good because the Lord opposes the proud. But in another sense, it doesn't stop us making ourselves available because these are exactly the kinds of people that the Lord uses in small ways and in big ways to establish his word. Now, we're bouncing around a little bit, but with that in mind, I want to go right back now to the end of Hannah's prayer because right there is a line that comes maybe as a bit of a surprise. Look, have a look at the end of verse 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Okay, so far. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, why is that weird? It's weird because there is no king in Israel. King is coming, but he's not there yet. But here's the theme tune. Here's the big idea for Israel's king that he must get. The Lord will give him strength. The Lord will exalt him. A proud king he will bring down, but a humble king he will raise up. What kind of king is the Lord looking for? What kind of king will lead Israel's, God's people right? Well, it's not going to be the mighty king. It's not going to be the proud king. It's not going to be the one who looks for his own strength. That kind of king is going to find himself facing a great reversal. The Lord will bring him low. It needs to be one who looks to the Lord for strength. The one that the Lord himself exalts. The one who can pray the prayer of Hannah. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And so as the book of Samuel goes on, uh, we're going to come to king number one. Uh, and his name will be Saul. Now, I'm going to nerd out for a moment. And you're going to wonder where on earth I am going. And you're going to think it's 10 past 11 already. Surely we don't need to do this. But trust me, just this once, I, I really think it's going to be worth it. Throughout the end of chapter 1, there is a word that is repeated several times. Uh, it's not translated the same way all the time in our English Bibles. We'll have a look at that in a minute. But it's the word to ask. And that is the Hebrew word, sa'al. It's actually how Samuel gets his name there in verse 20. Uh, she said, she called his name Samuel. She said, for I have asked, I have sa'al'd him uh, from the Lord. And there it's again in verses 27 and verses 28. Now, our English translations kind of obscure this because, quite frankly, it doesn't make for good English. But literally, verses 27 and verse 28 read, the Lord has granted me the asking that I have asked of him. So now I give my response to my asking to the Lord, for his whole life shall be given as a response to my asking of the Lord. Now, you see why it's not translated that way. Now, this 
Hebrew word sa'al will now go missing in the book of 1 Samuel. It won't appear for the next seven chapters until it finally comes up in chapter 8, when the people will sa'al Samuel. They will ask Samuel for a king. And the Lord will give them a response to their asking. And he will give them a king named Sa'al, Saul. He's the king that they ask for. He's the king that has everything in the eyes of the world. He's tall, he's handsome, he's mighty, he's, he's, he's a conqueror. He's the pin-up king that young girls would put on their wall. He is the model king. And to him will come a great reversal. The Lord will bring him low and Israel will get what they asked for. And he won't be the king through whom the Lord establishes his word. Because he is not the king that the Lord is looking for. This is not the way the Lord works. So how is he going to establish his word? How is he going to fulfill his promises to his world, to his people? Well, it will be through a king. But none of the kings that are going to appear through one and two Samuel or one and two kings. But to the very best of them, to David, the Lord will say this. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish, there's that word, I will establish his kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There will be a king who in the eyes of, in the words of 1 Corinthians, will be a king who is weak and nothing and despised and rejected. And through him, the Lord Jesus, a kingdom and a throne has been established forever. Through him who, who experienced the greatest reversals from glory, from heaven to one of us, from death to life, from suffering to glory, the Lord has established his word. He brings about a kingdom for the weak, the low, the hungry, the outcast, the downtrodden, the sinner. And he raises them up. And they have a seat with princes, a seat of honor. Friends, we might ask, uh, is it really worth it? Is it worth it when we suffer so much for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus? When we become nothing in the eyes of the world, when we're mocked and ridiculed, when we're harassed, when we may lose our positions and lose our jobs, when the world says we have nothing but delusion, when we cry out with Hannah from the depths of despair, 
in weeping and in great anxiety? Well, the answer is, yes, it is. Because the king has come. He has humbled himself to death. He's paid the penalty for sin. And the Lord has exalted him forever. The Lord has established his word. His promises are sure. And we too are raised with him to be given seats of honor alongside princes. Church, whatever this costs us, and for some of us it costs us dearly, it is worth it. There is none holy like the Lord. There is no one like you. There is no rock like our God. Let's pray to him. Lord God, we, we come before you uh, recognizing that it is sometimes so tough to follow the Lord Jesus. Lord God, admitting that it, it demands of us so much and we're so, so often reluctant to give. Lord God, we feel beaten down uh, and brought low. We feel like we're of no use whatsoever. But we're so thankful that you've made us a part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. A kingdom without end. A kingdom that is growing and expanding. A, a king who reigns with power and with love and with grace. Uh, turn our eyes, Lord God, to the Lord Jesus. Uh, enable us to find our hope, our joy, our peace in him. Encourage us, Lord, uh, as we look to him. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.